Wondering what's next in your business or personal life? Welcome to Success to Significance, Life After Breaking Through Glass Ceilings, a podcast dedicated to helping you with all of life's challenges, discoveries, and opportunities. Whether you're seeking a new career, retirement, or simply wanting to make an impact in your community or the world, join Jen Duplessis and her guests as they explore how to start, what to do when you're in the thick of a change or growth, and how to leave a mark in this world after breaking through your next achievement. You are moments away from the aha you've been seeking. Hi, and welcome back to Success to Significance. This is Jen Duplessis, and I have a very, very special guest today because I've known Christina Berweri for, I don't know, 15 years, maybe we've been around in the same space. That's really sad. But I have a very, very special guest. And she is someone who's in my local area. I'm like in my hometown. And, you know, you all are going to be so surprised at what she has accomplished. What I mean, the glass ceilings that you have exceeded past are just a crazy amount. So I can't wait to dive in. But first, let me tell all of you about her. She is the president and CEO and the sole owner of the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area's largest luxury transportation provider. That is a mouthful. She has a fleet of beautiful limos. Let me put it that way. A beautiful (laughs) fleet of that. She is innovative in her business. And I can't wait to ask questions about this, especially about her strategies over the last two decades. She does wedding transportation. She has expanded into business, government contracts, group transportation. We're going to talk about all of that. Shuttle contracts now. And her obvious, well, for those of us in the area, her signature wine tours that we see all over the place in our beautiful Washington, D.C. area wine country. She implements the latest technology trends, which I'm really excited to talk to you about. Really, really excited because we have a tsunami of tech that's coming in. I want to see how that applies to your business. Early adopter of social media as a limousine service, international network to launch the company's global services I want to hear about, which provides worldwide transportation through a vetted affiliate network, which I had no idea you did. But one of the best things about Christina, she is actively involved in our community. She is one of the top community leaders, civic organizations, uh, philanthropic things. Every time I turn around, she's there. Every time I turn around, she's in the cover of a magazine, a local magazine. She has started something called Sterling Women years and years ago, (laughs) years ago that we all participate in and has been named in the Washington Business Journal as one of the 50 most powerful people influential women in Washington. She supports women entrepreneurs left, right, and sideways and has something called the Virginia Women's Business Conference, which I've been asked to speak at several times. That was a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I can't even tell you all the awards, so we'll just throw them on there on the uh, show notes. But, you know, Christina, thank you so much for coming and joining us. It was hard for us to do this, but we got it done. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. Of course. Of course. I'm excited. So I want to go back. I want to really start where this started. And a lot of times I'm saying, you know, tell me your story. I tell people, you know, tell me your story. But I know there's something very unique about your story that I've heard over the years, but I want to hear it from you about how does this beautiful woman get involved in a fleet of limousines? And I remember back I remember way back when Rustin Limousine was just starting out. And how do you get involved? How did this all happen that you got involved in this massive limousine service? So it's kind of a crazy story. 
I was actually born in Japan and I lived overseas my entire childhood as a daughter of U.S. Foreign Service diplomats. And so I didn't live in the U.S. until I was 18, came here for college, went to George Washington University and got a degree in international affairs. Okay. And my plan was to go back to Africa where I had lived for 10 years and work there as a foreign service officer. But my senior year in college, I got an internship at this nonprofit called the Overseas Education Fund, and they offered me a job when I graduated. So instead of going back to Africa as a diplomat, I went back to work in Somalia on projects to uplift the status of women. Okay. I did that for two years. It was very, very difficult. It was a very tough life. I had to pretty much either stay in my office or go to the hotel. I had to buy gas. I drove a four-wheel drive truck and bought gas on the black market. Oh, wow. I had no friends, no one to talk to, and I decided that was not the job for me. So I came back to the States, and the only job I could find was a 100% sales commission advertising job. I was cold calling out of the yellow pages, and I got an appointment with William Buary, who owned Reston Limousine. Oh, wow. So I went, <laughs> and it was at the Reston Town Center. Yep. So I, I went to that appointment, <laughs> and I <laughs> sold him an ad. And it took me two months to close that deal. He made me keep coming back. Finally, <laughs> closed the deal, got the check, and he invited me out to dinner. Oh, my God. So we started dating. We dated for about, I don't know, six months. And he said, quit your job and come work for me. I can't afford to pay you, but I'll pay your bills. Wow. So I quit my job, went to work for William. And I was just like, why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And why aren't we doing this? And he's like, oh, that's just too much. And I said, I'll take care of it. So I started buying lists of brides and cold calling brides. And within a year, we're doing 100 weddings a weekend. And then this guy knocked on our door and offered us a government contract. We had no idea what it was, but we won. And that's how we got into government contracting. And what and do you so, do with, yeah, what do you do with government contracting? Is this just when dignitaries come in, your limo goes and picks them up? Actually, no, it was a shuttle bus contract for U.S. Geological Survey, oh. who had two buses going back and forth to D.C. every day. Yeah. connecting their Reston facility with their Department of Interior in Washington. Oh, okay. So once I won that contract, I thought, well, there have to be more of these. Yeah. And I started researching government contracts. And for the next 10 years, I won every government contract that I bid on. Because no one was else because, was doing it. Well, they were doing it, but they weren't providing a very good service. Mm. So I always bought a brand new bus, filled it with technology, hired a great driver, and moved on to my next opportunity. Yeah. So the other great thing about the 90s was we had all the dot coms exploding in Reston. Right. So we were driving around. We drove Ted Leonsis to work every day. We drove for Network Solutions, Sprint, MicroStrategy. I mean, you name it. If it was a dot com growing in the 90s, we were driving them. We had a contract with the Hyatt Regency Reston, got lots of leads from there. And the company went from zero to five million in the first 10 years. Wow. So that is how I got into the crazy limousine business. Yeah. So what did it look like when you met William? He had five cars uh-huh. and he was a hundred percent corporate. Right. And he was doing about 200,000 a year in revenue. Wow. Wow. And now what's your fleet look like now? Today we have 250 vehicles. We have 450 employees and 30 million in revenue. Yeah. That's beautiful. Wow. Congratulations. You know, I just want to take a minute to honor you for that and acknowledge that because that's a huge, huge change in a man's world and what I consider to be a man's world. I mean, is, am I wrong? Is it, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know why I consider a man's world, but you've obviously proven it, it is. is a male dominated industry. Yeah. Yeah. And you've proven yeah, I always it. stuck out 
I was always the only woman in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The token woman, the token woman in the room, having that conversation with all those people. So, you know, when you look back on that and let's talk about breaking through some ceilings, right? You've obviously broke through some financial ceilings and then you broke through the gender ceiling of saying that it was a male dominated. What are some other challenges that you had as you made that transition? Because people that listen to this podcast are thinking about going, they're transitioning out of a job, you know, like going from being a corporate job into being an entrepreneur, or they're thinking about having a side hustle and there's always this fear of making that move. So what are some of the other things that you could embark on us that you learned that are lessons that you'd like to share? So my first 10 years in business, I pretty much learned how to do everything by doing it the wrong way the first time. And <laughs> it's a good way um, to learn though. <laughs> it is. It's painful, painful, yeah. but you do learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't want to make that same mistake twice. Yeah. My second 10 years in business, I decided I wanted to educate myself and make myself a better leader. And that's when I joined a mastermind and I joined a business book club. And then about seven years into that decade, I joined Vistage, which is a CEO yeah. membership organization. Yeah. And I would have to say that was the single best decision I ever made about to grow my company. That's really where I learned how to do everything the right way. But the other thing that I think was very helpful was that I have always been a lifelong learner mm-hmm. and I have always taken the approach that I know nothing and I can learn and learn and learn. I am always reading. I'm always taking classes, seminars, webinars, trying to make myself a better person. And I think that's important. If you want to grow a business, if you want to improve your standard of living, you have to be a lifelong learner and you have to be open to new ideas. And back in the day, I jumped into social media and I just played around with it and very soon became an expert and was being asked to speak on panels about social media (laughs) just because I had tried it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I had had some early successes with social media that were fantastic. But the other thing I've noticed, and I don't know if your audience is mostly women or if it's men and women, Yeah, but it's both. So the other thing I noticed with women, and that's why I started the networking lunch for women, was that women are capable of way more than they think they are capable of. Mm -hmm. I feel that most women lack confidence. Yeah, And so by creating this monthly networking lunch for women, I tried to create a community where people can come and feel safe and find whatever they need in the room. You know, if they're looking for a friend, they're going to find a friend. If they want someone to help them write a book, it's in the room. If they want to lose weight or if they want a business coach or if they want a psychiatrist, whatever they want was in the room. Yeah. What was different about Sterling Women was that we don't have membership dues. And so there's no agenda. And the agenda is just pure women helping women. I hope that will be my legacy that I started that group and that it was very successful and it's still going great. Yeah, today. and you know, yeah, I know. And you know, and I think you were a leader in that. You know, you saw that before it became the whole women movement that's happened because I don't even remember when it was I spoke there. I mean, it's definitely been around for a while and it was just it was so new. It was so different to have a group of women and really to find for me, what I wanted when I came there, because you know, everybody comes there for a different reason. I was looking for women who were serious about their business, you know, and there are people that are just having fun too, and that's okay. But really for me, it was finding people that were serious about their business because I'm a serious businesswoman and feeling alone. I think feeling that you don't have anybody to do this. And when you mentioned the mastermind and, and Vistage and all of those things, 
Being a life learner is fantastic because I'm that too all the time. We're always reading and we're always learning, but it doesn't help if we're not surrounding ourselves with people that are just like that, because then we have these, all of these point of views and all of these blind spots that we just still can't see when, even when we're learning, right? We're learning and we're sitting in a little island by ourselves. So, you know, I think that that's probably something really good is that everybody in a mastermind can tell you or see the blind spot that you have. And you're thinking you're going to go down one road and they're saying, no, 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 no. That's probably not the right road. Let's make sure you go down the right road. So I think that's really important. I just want to hone in on that and make sure everyone understands that don't do it alone. So whatever it is, whatever mechanism, mastermind, coaching, whatever, make sure you don't go it alone. And I think that's probably one of the key factors. So what do you think drives you to do what you're doing today that you've stuck with it this long? Is it financial growth? Is it helping your employees? Is it the community? What do you think it keeps you going in your business right now? Well, first of all, I would like to say that when I got into this business and we had five cars, my dream was to have 10. And then we got to 10. And I said to my ex-husband now, I said, do you think one day we'll ever have 15 cars? That would be amazing. So I never dreamt in a million years that my business would be what it is today. But I will also say that I think women are great business owners and leaders. And I think especially in the limousine industry where we have to, we're dealing with logistics and changes. And it's just like being head of a household where you're managing multiple issues and changes and schedules and organizing everything. That's what it's like in a limousine company. So you've got all these reservations and all these cars and all these drivers and you have to match them all up. And then there's a lot of changes coming in throughout the day and you have to just make a lot of changes and be agile. And I think women are really good at that. And so I was born to be in this business. And the other nice thing is that my clientele is very international. My employees are very international. And so I still feel like I'm sort of in that international world. We can work for the IMF, the World Bank. We have about 50 embassies that use us. And so that part of the job is really fun for me. Yeah. So it's just something that just kept growing and growing and growing. And the nice thing about having a large business is that you have a team. And so even though back in the day, I would answer the phones 24 hours from my house after hours, today I'm blessed to say I'm pretty much working Monday through Friday, nine to five. Yeah. And that's a blessing. But why not? I mean, why not continue to own this company, grow it to as big as it can be, and eventually one day I will sell it to someone else. But I still feel like I want to work for at least 10 or 15 more years. I am definitely a type A workaholic kind of person, and I can't imagine ever retiring, especially since I love what I do. Yeah, yeah. So how did you end up getting the business? Did he just not want to go in the direction? Like you said, when you first got on, you were like, can we do this? And we can do that. And then just kind of grow out of that because, you know, that does happen. You know, it's another book that I'm working on <laughs> called uh, When Your Wife Is Your Boss, dot, dot, dot. No, really. right because there's so many women and you know some you know cindy ballinger you know you know many people many people in this area too where the wife is the lead and that was the case with brian and i you know in in the mortgage space as well is where the wife becomes the lead because we just have so many ideas and so innovative and i think that some survive and some don't survive that because there's such a growth curve that happens with women that sometimes the men feel threatened and left behind is that what happened with you in this growth as well So our situation was that we worked side by side for 10 years. Mm -hmm. We had five kids during that time. I did sales, marketing, and operations. He did accounting, HR, and fleet management. 
And by the time those 10 years were up, we now had managers doing all of those roles. Right. Whereas my role was still vital. And I was the project manager for all of our government contracts. And it was at that time that we bought the dream house in Leesburg, the 25 acres, the 10,000 square foot house. And we found out when we were moving in that the school bus did not come to our home. <laughs> yeah. And so we decided my husband would stay home with the kids and yeah. that I would run the business. Oh, he, had, yeah. he was a little burned out anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was not. I was just, you're in the prime of doing all this. Yeah. I was loving my job and he was just ready really to take sort of a backseat. And we decided as a couple that it was fantastic. One of us could stay home with the kids mm-hmm. that wouldn't it be great if our children had a stay home parent. And we decided that that would be him. And so that was why I ended up running the business by myself. So the first 10 years built it to 5 million. The second 10 years, I built it to 17 million alone. Mm-hmm. And that's when I asked for a divorce. And basically what happened was we grew apart. That's what happened. You know, you know yeah. that's what happened. You know, you yeah. stop working together and you own a business together. And I've been an extrovert my whole life. He was an introvert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love going out to events and networking yeah. and he hated yeah. it. And it just got to a point where we decided, you know, we were going to end our marriage. So I bought him out of the house. I bought him out of the business and I became 100% owner of the business. Yeah. And then in the third decade, I grew it to $30 million. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. So now we have another decade to go. <laughs> Here we go. Right. That's right. And that's hopefully, right. hopefully the goal. Yeah. I mean, that's hopefully, you know, what ends up happening. So I want to ask you about what's happened during the COVID challenge. How has that impacted you? Take us back a year ago as we're recording this, but take us back a year ago with all the weddings that stopped, all the travel that stopped. Knowing you, you probably made, and we're all using the overusing this word now, but you probably made that pivot like everybody else did. And now looking back, say, gosh, I'm in the best position I ever was. You know, So tell us what happened with your business during COVID. And did you gobble up any other companies during COVID who didn't make it? Oh. it's a little too soon to tell on that one, but I will say that COVID really was scary for us. We had a million dollars in cancellations and we had to refund a million dollars. And so money going out of the account quicker than it was coming in. And we had to tell our customers, look, we cannot refund you your money for 30 days. We had to lay off 300 people and we had to cut our expenses to the bone. Yeah. And honestly, I'll be honest with you, Jen, I did not think for a million years I was going to get out of it. Yeah. I literally was very depressed, sad. And I thought I was losing this business that I had spent 30 years building Mm -hmm. because I didn't see a way out. And then when they came up with the PP loans and we were able to get that funding, I said to myself, I'm not going to lose my business, but I still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. So what I did was I downsized and right-sized the business and spent the following year looking at every single process and policy that we have, trying to make the company stronger, better, faster, more efficient. And we pivoted into a lot of different things. We were driving COVID patients. We put in plexiglass dividers in our vehicles to protect drivers. We got the medical grade PPE and we were driving COVID positive patients to quarantine. We also have always done a lot of organ transportation. And that, of course, has skyrocketed, not due to COVID, but due to increased suicides, which is very. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, We're driving a lot of pilots for private aviation and we're driving a lot of people to get COVID testing. Mm -hmm. And we have pivoted into food delivery. So it's been really interesting and challenging, but exciting. 
And you're right. Today, a year later, my company is stronger, faster, better. Not, I don't have the same revenues, but they will be coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your profitability is higher though, because you cut down all those. So I'm curious, how did the first COVID client come about? I mean, how did you go, you know, one that you woke up in the middle of the night and went, I know we could transfer COVID people. How did that kind of come about? Did someone, because I know you're really involved with Nova and Nova and all that. Yeah. Did someone call you and say, hey, is that something you could do? I mean, how did that come out? Yes, it was a local jurisdiction that hired us for their jurisdiction to transport people for them. And they asked us to do it. And it's interesting because my dispatcher said, we're not doing that. And I said, oh, yes, we are. Yes, we are. (laughs) And I said, you know what? You're not going to decide. We're going to ask the drivers if they're willing to the risk. And I had three drivers who said yes. Yeah. And so we started doing it. And it's, that piece is very profitable. Yeah. We're probably charging three times more than we normally would. Oh, and wow. we give a lot of that to the driver because they're yeah. taking the risk. Yeah, they're taking all the risk. Well, and I think it also gets back to the community involvement that you like to help the community. And it really is a community, an activist piece of the community. So let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about all of the philanthropic activities that you're doing now. What is the most passionate project that you're working on right now? And has it grown or developed and really manifested because of COVID? Or is it something that you've just always done and you continue to work on? So I would say that in terms of philanthropy, we actually scaled way back this year. We're not too involved in philanthropy. Of course, we do what we can where we can. But leading up to the pandemic, Rest Limousine has always had a mission to help sick kids. And the reason why we did that was because I couldn't get pregnant for five years. And then I was blessed with four healthy children. And so I wanted to give back. And so we used to always support the Make-A-Wish Foundation, Mm -hmm. the Children's NIH, any charity that helps sick children, we would always support. We were given a lot of publicity for that which led us to believe that we should expand our giving to any groups that need help. And my business is seasonal. We're very busy in spring and fall. So in the winter and summer, when I have vehicles just sitting, it's a great chance to donate them to organizations that need transportation, whether it's wounded warriors or every Christmas we take these seniors to Alexandria to get free dental work, things like that. And we've donated to summer camps for underprivileged kids. But I think my number one passion with philanthropy has to be 100 Women Strong. Yeah, It is an organization in Loudoun County founded by Karen Schaufeld. And our organization helps women, children, education, health, and housing. And what I love about that group is that Karen not only is a huge giver to the community, she has found a way to attract other people to do the same. And I believe we're up to 65 members. So that's wow. six, 650000 a year. I, yeah, I know. And I, I actually thought you were probably over that because I had was asked to apply to that years ago. And now that I'm in a different space, I was saying, huh, I wonder what's going on with 100 Moon and Strong. But I actually figured we were past that. Nope. We're at about, I think, 65 members. And when yeah. I joined, we were only at 18. Yeah. And I've been a member for 12 years. So that what I love about that group as well mm-hmm. is that those ladies put in the time to really figure out where the greatest need is. Mm -hmm. And they've had a huge impact on our community because, you know, Loudoun County, where we live, the wealthiest wealthiest county in the country. Yeah. We don't like that because it makes it sound like everything's perfect here. And it's not, we have homeless people. We have homeless children. We have homeless children, homeless children. We have 
so many problems and our community is very expensive to live in. And so there's a lot of people that struggle to pay their bills and even our food pantry cannot keep food on the shelves. So the stigma of being the wealthiest is not so great. And I told the ladies, I said, I wish we were known not for being the wealthiest, but for being the most philanthropic. And let's not have all those problems in our county and let's find ways to make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Did you ever get the chance to meet Frank Shankwitz from Make-A-Wish? No. With the donation. Okay. He was a friend of mine. He just passed away about a month and a half ago, or maybe two and a half months ago. Not COVID related, thank goodness, but I was fortunate enough to be able to be at the opening of, I would call it the premiere of his, the movie about his life, The Wish Man, with him, and then got to go to his ranch and have a big barbecue afterwards. And it was so fun. And he's been on this podcast. He's been on this podcast. Matter of fact, he's fantastic. People I interviewed on this podcast. Yeah. Really, really great man. I love the work that he has always done. And, you know, he started working with wounded warriors. He started moving into that direction and really growing that. And so that's somebody that we're going to miss dearly over this time. So what does the future look like for you? What's going forward? Obviously, with your business, you want to continue to grow your business. But what do you see as your future, you know, another 10 years from now, as you continue to break these through these ceilings of different things that you're accomplishing when it comes time to retire? So right now, my goal really is to sort of stabilize my business. We're very busy right now. And we see that we're going to grow back to that other level mm-hmm. pretty quickly, which when you go down and then you grow back quickly, it brings in a lot of additional stress and problems. Right. So my job right now is going to be to figure out how to get back to 30 million and more in the least stressful way possible, <laughs> whatever that may be. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, it's a COVID reset. I think it's a reset yes. for everybody, right? Because, right. you know, we we're all, everybody was doing great all across the country and everybody's doing great. And there was no time to yes, what you need to be looking at to go to the next level. So I have the infrastructure and the debt of a $30 million company. And therefore to be financially stable and for my banks to be happy, I have to get my revenues back up there, yeah. which I am sure will happen in the next 18 months. Yeah. Just with osmosis of things happening and we're opening back up. Yeah. But there are so many like interesting things going on in my industry. Like for example, there's driverless buses. Yes. There is all sorts of technology Mm -hmm. that are making it very interesting to be in transportation. Yeah. In fact, one of my customers has now asked me to, instead of running regular routes around in circles all day long, they're asking us to provide on-demand service in buses. And it's a university, by the way. Yeah. So it's exciting to me that a lot of our customers are embracing some of these new technologies. And I know that will continue to make my life and my company very dynamic and innovative. And it's exciting. And so there's plenty of opportunity. And my goal really is to get back to my 30 million and hopefully grow it bigger than that. And then at some point, I will sell this company. I'm already on one public board and my goal is to be on two or three public boards and to utilize the network that I've spent 30 years building Mm -hmm. to create opportunities for other people. And I'm really looking forward to that. And of course, you know, I have the five kids and when they start having children, I'm not going to be a super hands-on grandmother, but I will be a hands-on grandmother. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Oh, I know it'll be fun. Well, and hopefully by that time you'll start winding things down and you'll have that time to be able to do that, you know, and, and want to be able to do it. So what do you think is your greatest strength and gift that comes so easy to you that others are struggling to get? So I think that my greatest strength is adaptability and just always sort of staying calm. I have a new CFO who's only been with me a year and he comes into my office and says, how do you do this? (laughs) Every day is different. It's impossible to forecast and we don't know when this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Look, this has been my life for 30 years. Yeah. You know, there's ups and downs when you own a business. It's almost like a roller coaster. The highs are high, the lows are low. I'm just used to it. I'm very adaptable. I can deal with it. I stay calm and I never let anyone tell me no. Yeah. If someone says you can't do this, I'm like, watch me. I'll figure out a way to do it. So I'm just blessed with a positive mental attitude, wake up every day in a good mood and I'm ready for a challenge. I love it. I'm all smiles. If you're not watching the video on YouTube, I'm all smiles. I'm writing a book called Tell Me I Can't. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Tell Me I Can't and uh, releasing a streaming TV show by the same name, interviewing people that were told they can't and have broken through that, you know, and because that's my whole life too. You know, it's you can very inspirational. This. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, anybody who has that situation that's happened, you know, it's absolutely wonderful to share those types of stories so that we can all believe that we can, you know, tell me I can't, and I'm going to show you that how I'm going to do it. You know, I absolutely love that. Well, I just want to say thank you again for joining us today and being part of this podcast. I've wanted to have you on here for, you know, a whole year and we finally got, I finally got your attention. Thank goodness for COVID. You well, were too busy so doing much. other things, <laughs> which is fine. But it's so great to see you too, because I haven't seen you for a year or so. You know, You've been busy. Traveling. I've been busy too. You've been busy. Yeah, I don't do much networking locally anymore because I'm just too busy. But, you know, hopefully we'll have the chance to see each other again out, you know, and maybe some gala. That'll be I probably so. the Or thing. a winery. Or a winery. Maybe at a winery if I can never get out to them. I'm usually down at the boat when the wine you know, then comes, well, you know, we Airbnb our house Oh, good. out here in the summer. So we're on our boat down at the lake house and it was just sitting here. And I thought, Hmm, there's something I can do here. Yeah. In fact, I think your limos have been to my house (laughs) picking up rides. (laughs) Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really great. It's been good. So, but I just want to say thank you so much. I'm so inspired by you. I love what you're doing. And again, I want to acknowledge you and make sure that you know that people like you aren't a dime a dozen. You come around once in a lifetime. And I hope that you realize that. And I hope that you you see that you are making an impact in the world and, and creating lots of significance to lots of people. So thank you for gracing us with your presence here today. Well, thanks so much. And I feel the same about you and uh, very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right, everybody, we'll catch you next time on Success to Significance. Please take just a quick minute to scroll down on your phone and give us a five-star rating and give us great reviews. We want to hear what you've had to, what you've loved to hear in the future, what you loved about this particular podcast with Christina, so we can share that with her as well. And we'll catch you next time on the next episode. You've been listening to Success to Significance with Jen Duplessis, the number one podcast for people wanting to give more value and make an impact. Loved this episode? Be sure to subscribe right now at www.jenduplessis.com slash S2S for more stories, 
strategies, and thoughts to help you gain significance and success. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to give us a rating and review so we can continue to bring you the best content possible. Join us next week for another breakthrough episode. Thank you for listening.